Can I have the elders come up here, please? For some time now, uh, elders have been aware, as most people have been aware of, that um, that when you go out into the community and you're talking with people about God like that, that used to, a long time ago, you usually had the basis of, of the Bible. You knew the foundation. I mean, you had something to work from. And there's been increasingly a problem, and we noticed that. So uh, we spoke with him and the elders about this, and we decided that uh, it wouldn't be, would be a good idea if we'd have a lesson of, on the authority of the scripture, the foundational things that we think about, just so we also don't get confused as well on that stuff. So from that, we wanted to kick off Tim's uh, series of lessons about this, and we're just going to pray over him for that right now. Danny, Father, we, we pray that you be with this family, be with Tim, your spiritual warrior, as he speaks from your word and he speaks of the mighty authority that you had within that. May the Spirit flow through him as he's speaking to you. And he's, and we as family, may we be as open as children to the message that he speaks and that we will use this and absorb this into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Lisa, that's right. Lisa, you had something uh, you wanted to make sure everyone heard. Uh, Mr. Mize, uh, Rusty Mize, is in, is it Abilene? I think it is. Okay, thank you for reminding me of that. I, I did forget. Mr. Rusty Mize, I'm sure many of you know Rusty, uh, is in the hospital in Abilene right now. I don't have any details at all. Uh, Lisa, I don't think you don't know any details either, do you? Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, make sure you remember him in your prayers. Good morning, church. I hope everyone is doing well today. Uh, we are going to be starting a brand new series here in just a moment. I, I wanted to share something with you. I thought it was kind of kind of cute, kind of funny. Um, there was a couple of ladies that were not snickering, but making some comments about my dress today. Uh, I've stepped up a notch. I'm wearing a tie. And uh, anyway, I, I make the joke sometimes I need all the help I can get. Last night was actually um, the father-daughter dance. Did anybody have a chance to go out there? I, I saw a couple of you, I think. Um, but it was the father-daughter dance. So last night, you know, I'm putting on my best. And that's when I had the idea of, you know, breaking out the tide, Jake, because I don't do these things very often, brother. And, uh, and so I, I get all spiffy and, you know, looking as nice as I can. And Chloe comes out like a princess. I mean, she's got the red dress on and the hair and everything else. And so we, we decided uh, to show the kids off. So I went upstairs. Colby was upstairs. And I said, hey, Colby. I said, check us out. I said, I'm, taking, I'm taking Chloe out on a date. He says, Chloe looks really nice. Dad, you look like a preacher. <laughs> so I said, okay. Can't get away from that one. So I want to start off this morning with, uh, with a little video. Alan, if you would, just crank it up a little bit. And uh, I want to show you this little video, see what you think. 
Would you say that the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches? It was written a very, very long time ago, so the wording in some parts of it can be taken out of context because, of course, the context is way different now. So I think it's really important to mix in traditional values with new contemporary values because just how a society doesn't stay stagnant, I don't think the Bible should stay stagnant. I think it should grow with people and with us and with our belief. Yeah. I believe it has a lot of metaphors, and I believe that a lot of different people can read it in a different way. But I don't believe it's the same for everyone. And some things may be a bit weird, and some things are not as accurate as I would have them believe. So I think that through life, you find different parts of the Bible to be more true to you than in other parts of your life. So that, that's how I believe in it. I think it depends. I think when people, I think it's been modified a couple of times, but the most important parts, I think it's, it's, it's fine. But people have did some changes in it, you know what I mean? But the word, I still think it's fine. Do you read the Bible? Uh, no, no. I, uh, I'm skeptical of organized religions run by men, or human. human. Um, so I, I think there are a lot of examples in history of people abusing that power and uh, saying something is the word of God when really it's more just doing what they want. And so I, I kind of try and keep a more open mind. Uh, you know, I, I think there's, there's a lot of possibilities out there, and I try to explore all of them. Is the Bible 100% accurate in all that it teaches? Absolutely. I think that, that as man grows in his wisdom, he essentially comes to know that the Bible is true. Uh, science is more and more proving the truth of Scripture uh, rather than the other way around. And so I believe that the Bible is God's word, and it's perfect. The question was asked, do you believe that the Bible is 100% accurate? Would you say that the Bible is 100% in all that it teaches? It was so good, we're going to watch it again. The question was asked, do you believe that the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches? Now, perhaps some of you have heard some of those answers in the past. I know as a preacher, I've heard them all, if you will. But one woman, it's, it's really, really old. Uh, context have changed. We probably, because of that, should mix old values along with new values. And the Bible uh, should grow with you. It should grow with your beliefs. Another woman, it has a lot of metaphors. And I kind of like how she kind of sideways said, some parts of it are weird, um, but it has a lot of metaphors and other things aren't accurate. And the Bible is basically what you get out of it. Another man, uh, this one, I don't know if he really wanted to deal with the question or not, but he said, it's fine. It's fine. And there's some things that have changed, but overall it's, it's fine. Another guy, when he asked if he read the Bible, he wanted to make sure unequivocally, he said, no. Why? Because he said, I'm skeptical of organized religion. I remember when I became a Christian at the age of 14 and I would have conversations with my father and with a lot of my brothers and my sister, that was the prevailing view all through my family. Well, the Bible has really just been used by churches and it's all about control and top-down dominance and telling people what to do. And, and, I'm, and, and it's interesting because my family used to say some of the similar kinds of things. I'm open-minded. I'm, 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 I'm working the field of beliefs, if you will, trying to discover what I think. And then that last woman, is the Bible the Word of God? I loved her response. I believe the Bible is God's Word, 
And I believe it's perfect. So I have a question for you this morning. What do you believe about the Bible? Do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Do you believe that it is authoritative, that God spoke it into existence at some point in the past, that He called uh, men who uh, were, were basically called alongside by the Holy Spirit to write down these things? Do you believe that over the past 2,000 years, God has sovereignly managed and overseen His Word to make sure that it has come down to you unadulterated, completely pure, as if it were the very words of God spoken to the original hearers. Do you believe that? Or do you believe maybe a mix of that? Maybe that there are parts of the Bible that may not be as accurate due to whatever reasons, maybe nothing nefarious, maybe uh, just copying mistakes. After all, it's been copied untold numbers of times over the years by hand. I can't jot down anything by hand without making 10, 12 mistakes. So maybe that's the case. Has it been changed throughout the years? Not necessarily on purpose, but on, on purpose, uh, uh, without purpose. I mean, by accident, if you will. Are there portions of the Bible that may not be accurate today? Or do you have a third type of belief? Do you just say, you know what, the Bible has a lot of great things to say, and it spoke a lot of good things 2,000 years ago today, but things have changed. And so therefore we need to look at it with a new set of lenses, with maybe a more modern set of eyes. Now, one thing I don't know by watching a video like this is I don't know the spiritual state of those people. It was just kind of a man on the street question and answer thing. It, they didn't give any qualifications when they walked up to somebody. They didn't say, hey, listen, before you answer this question, are you a Christian? Do you identify as a Christian? Do you not identify as a Christian? And so just giving it the, the benefit of the doubt, if these were people that were interviewed, that were random, that were people that we might say are, are typical, just maybe unbelievers, then their, their, their answers would not surprise me that much, would they, you? If, if these were all unbelievers, their answers would probably not surprise you that much. I don't know if they were all unbelievers. That one guy, I'm sure to tell you he was an unbeliever. I, I don't go to church. I don't believe in any type of organized religion. If they were unbelievers and those were the responses, that would make sense. But what surprises me is that you and I are living in a day and time where the theological winds have started to shift and change a little bit. We live in a day and time where not only Christians in general are starting to have less and less of what we call a high view of Scripture, that it's the Word of God, it, that, that we're seeing more and more of a trend to where people are not adopting these beliefs anymore, that they're not seeing the Bible as the Word of God, that they're seeing them kind of more in some of the ways that we saw up here. And not only are these theological winds changing amongst the people in a lot of our churches in America, but it's also changing a lot in church leaders, pastors, preachers, leaders of all kinds. There's a big push and there's a move, and it's happening more and more, and I've seen it the last 20 years, from a departure from what you might call more um, traditional, um, what you might call more um, historical, I would say biblical beliefs about certain matters. And there's more of a push today in certain Christian circles to mix Christian beliefs, traditional values, with more modern values, with more modern ways of seeing things. We'll talk more about that here in just a moment. 
Some of you might remember a study that was released last year. It was um, from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. And they interviewed a thousand Christian ministers, pastors, people like me, all over America. They interviewed 1,000 of these Christian ministers and pastors, and they found this, and I found this interesting. Only 37% of Christian pastors in the United States of America have what they call a biblical world view. The majority, according to the research, 62% possess a hybrid worldview known as syncretism. Now you might say, well, what is syncretism? Well, when I remember years ago, Tiffany and I did a lot of work in Nigeria and we would hear about syncretism there. What is syncretism? Syncretism is when you take traditional Christian beliefs and values and morals and you mix them with traditional values and morals. And so over there, it would not be uncommon, for example, to go to church on a Sunday and see somebody worship at a church on Sunday. And by Sunday afternoon, they're walking down the street carrying a chicken because they're about to go sacrifice a chicken to their animistic gods. You think, how in the world could that happen on the same day to a Christian? That's called syncretism. You're mixing pagan beliefs with Christian beliefs. So it's saying here that from an American standpoint, 62% of American preachers, men and women who stand in the pulpit every single Sunday, 62% have a hybrid syncretistic view of things about the world. Now you say, what are you talking about? What constitutes a biblical worldview? That's a fair question to ask, right? We need to know what we're measuring. Well, what they do is they ask 54 questions. These questions fall into eight categories of belief and behavior. And what they do is they base their scores based upon how traditional of an answer that they give. So you might say it's a traditional worldview or traditional Christian worldview. But here's the eight places where they test you. Number one, family and the value of life. Number two, issues that are related to God and creation and history. Number three, personal faith practices. Four, sin, salvation, and somebody's and their one's relationship with God. Five, human character, human nature. Six, lifestyle, personal behaviors, relationships. And the final one, which is interesting because it's the one that was, had the lowest percentage of biblical worldview, which kind of shocked me, was the views about the Bible truth, and morality. So they ask a thousand preachers, a thousand pastors, to think about all these things. Do you have a biblical worldview about things like family and faith and sin and salvation? What do you think about the Bible? Is it the Word of God? Is it the truth, the morality? Do you believe in traditional moral values of Scripture? And only 37% of ministers have a biblical worldview of all of them. Only 37%. Some 62% of ministers have a syncretistic worldview of the Bible. In other words, they think the Bible is accurate in some areas, but in other areas they do not. They have a very syncretistic worldview. I guess that kind of makes sense, right? You think about it. The more you tend to take the Bible at face value, the more you tend to going to want to shape your worldview about, around the things that it says, Right? It kind of goes hand in hand. If you've got a very high view of Scripture, if you tend to read it more literally, if you tend to take it as the Word of God at face value, that, that, that way of thinking tends to shape other areas of your life. If you take the Bible at face value, it's going to inform your faith. 
Is it not? It's going to inform how you do family at home. It should. It's going to inform your morals and how you see things from a moral perspective. The more you have a high view of Scripture, the more it's going to shape a biblical worldview around these other things. Well, have you noticed, and I don't think that this is by accident, that more and more people today are doubting the foundation of Scripture for the Christian faith. This is why I see a problem, and this is why I see a need for a series like this, is because if you take away the foundation of your faith, and that's why I'm calling this whole series the foundation of our faith, the Bible tells you that faith comes from one place. Where does it come from? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. So if you do not have a foundation of the Word of God, if you start picking away at the foundation and causing people to disbelieve that what the Bible says is actual truth, that it's authoritative, that it, that, that it can inform you for how to live your life, if you erode that away from somebody, well, then guess what? You have a shaky faith. You can't live the kind of life that God is calling you to live because you've got nothing at the end of the night to hang your hat on because you don't know if it's true or not. I came across an article the other day from the U.S. News and World Report. And the reason why I kept this is because to me it highlights, I believe, a lot of the skepticism that I'm hearing from more and more Christians, more and more Christian pastors, preachers across the nation. Listen to this article. It says, It is the foundation of the Christian faith. On its words rests the very existence of the church, and the hope of salvation for believers through the ages. Many consider it the only dependable and abiding revelation to God, of God to humanity. Yet the New Testament in many ways is a mysterious and enigmatic collection of writings, one that has entranced, enthralled, and perplexed scholars and theologians for the last 2,000 years. It is often called the testament of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but Jesus didn't write a word of it. And while some of the writings bear the names of those who walked with him on the dusty roads of Judah, centuries of scholarship have turned up little convincing evidence that his 12 closest disciples did much writing at all. Who then wrote the 27 books that make up the traditional New Testament canon? Could these books have been written by a contemporary of Jesus? Are they close to their original form? Or were they revised by early church leaders to reflect changing views of who Jesus was, to address the problems of a growing church, or, more sinister, to advance political agendas? Now, there's, that's just a couple of paragraphs. The, the, the article itself is five pages long. I'm not going to take the time to get into all of it, but, but I want you to notice, as you were reading that, this could have been one of literally... Dozens of articles that I've read from, from news sources over the last year about the Bible. And as we were reading it, did you not hear the little seeds of doubt that were being sparsed along the way? Did you hear them? Little seeds of doubt. And you see it all the time. I, a lot of times I'll have people that will email me or message me throughout the week, and they'll say, hey, Tim, did you see that Bible program that was on the History Channel last week? And, or it was, you know, A&E or whatever it was. And nine times out of ten, when you watch those programs, they will, they will just be like that article. They'll tell you something really interesting, something to draw you in, but then they start sh shout, uh, putting in these little seeds of doubt. But it could have meant this, and it could have said this, 
And what they, what they do is they're showing you things at a certain angle so that when you walk away, you have more doubt than you have faith. Now listen, I'm all about being informed. But there's a difference between being informed and then listening to something that's only a half-truth, which eventually tells you a full lie. And that's what you see here. You're seeing them um, sparse a little bit of doubt along the way. I mean, do we know that, that Jesus even wrote anything? Well, he didn't even write anything. And are these the names of the actual guys that wrote them? Probably not. And it was most likely written by somebody later. And, and if we don't know, you know, those writings were messed with. Well, maybe who knows how messed up they were along the lines. And, and, and by the time they get to you, you don't even know for sure that you're reading the actual words of God. Now, I don't have that problem. I've walked in my faith now for 20-something years. I have a pretty strong foundation of faith in my life. I can read an article like this and have no worries whatsoever. But there are a lot of Christians out there who don't have a foundation of faith. And when they read an article like this, that little bit of seed that God has already planted in their heart, that just like the enemy says, he comes down and plucks it up out of their chest, plucks it up right out of their heart. And it turns them away from Christ. Now, the question we're dealing with in this series is the question of inspiration. And this is what we're going to be addressing. Now, I'm not going to take the time to get into everything that it talks about in the next few weeks. But this series will address these questions. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at who wrote the Bible. You know, how did we get the Bible? Uh, There are some people, I'm, I'm not trying to make fun, but... Uh, there are some people that, that, that just by the way you talk to them, I think that they believe that in 1611, the Lord opened up the heavens and he just handed a King James Bible right out of heaven and said, here it is. Okay, now listen, I don't, I don't mind the King James Version if that's the version you like to read, but that's not the beginning of the Bible. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning and see how did we come down through the ages? How did we get it? How do you know the Bible is true? Do you think that might be an important question to, a- to answer? How do you know what's true? How do you know it's true? What are you going to do when you're talking to somebody out on the street or you're talking to somebody in your neighborhood and they say, well, what do you think about this? And you take them back to the Bible and they look at the Bible and say, well, how do you even know that that's true? Have you ever heard that question? How do you answer the question? How do you know the Bible is true? And then lastly, which is the big question that we're really asking is, is the Bible inspired? Now, let's talk about this for a second. Because here's the here's the case that I want to make about the Bible. And and you tell me over the course of the next few Sundays if I'm laying out this case okay. But here's the case I'm going to make. That the Bible, our thoughts and ideas, it begins with revelation that happened first in God's mind. These are words, things that otherwise you would have never known about him or his will, things about his capacities, things about his, 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 his doings, if you will. They all originate in God's mind. And at some point along the way, God decides that he wants to share that with humanity. In the Old Testament, primarily he chose prophets. Not completely, but for the most part he chose prophets. In the New Testament, he chooses apostles. These are men that God has spoken to. He has shared the thoughts that are on his mind. And he's revealed these things to them. And then they in turn have a job in front of them. What is their job? Their job is to take the things that God has written Uh, put on their minds and to write those down now in the process of our bibles we don't have the original writings do we all know that they're called the autographs in the old testament the bible was written in hebrew and aramaic parts of daniel is written in aramaic in the new testament it's written in greek those original writings it would be amazing if we if we could find one 
I wish we could, but we can't. But the original writings are called the autographs. Now, we don't have those, but luckily you and I have the copies of those, right? Because if you have a very special letter, I have very special letters. My wife and I, I don't, I don't say this too often, but uh, my wife and I, and, uh, when we were dating each other, she couldn't date until she was 18. Well, I liked her when I was 17. So when your mom and dad say you can't go out on the date, what do you do? Back in the old days, we used to take out a pen and paper, and we wrote letters. I still have every letter she wrote to me when she was 17 years old. Why? Because I treasure those letters, right? Even though that was a lifetime ago, I still treasure those letters. Well, think about how much these, le these letters were treasured by the people that originally read them. Okay? So what they started to do is they started to copy them. They started to write them down. Back then you had this thing called a scribe. And you know what they would do? The scribes would have uh, an equidistant, uh, not equidistant, they would have a, a numbering value for every single one of the, the letters. Does that make sense? I'm rambling. Hold on, let me take a big step back. Every letter of the alphabet has a numerical value. So think A1, B2, C3, D4. Okay, so like that. So what they had in the Old Testament times was, and in the New Testament times, they would copy page by page. They would copy a page from the Greek. They would add up all the letters. You would have a, a number at the very end, 12,364. And then they would turn around, and they would copy that page again, and they would, some, some dude would come along and do the math, and 12,363. 12, Uh-oh! Guess what you just discovered? There's an error. So they would take that scroll, roll it up, bury it, and start over. That's how important it was to make sure that when you copied something, it was 100% accurate. Why? Because it's the Word of God. That's what you do with the Word of God. So they write it down, and then it gets copied and recopied all throughout the ages. And then, obviously, we've got to talk about translations because it doesn't just come into English. It goes into Russian. It goes into Swahili. It goes into Spanish. It goes into all the other things. So this is the flow. And I want to argue that inspiration, the belief in the inspiration of the Bible, is that not only what you have today, a reflection of the very words that he gave the original writers, the autographs, but I'm also going to argue that God has overseen this entire process through his sovereignty and that what we have written down in our Bibles reflects exactly what God wants us to hear. Now, I realize that's an uphill battle. We've got a lot of ground to cover over the next few weeks, but that's where we're headed in the next few weeks, okay? All right. Now, this morning, with the time that we have, Let's talk a little bit about inspiration and revelation. There's a difference when I talk about inspiration and when I say the inspiration of the Bible. Understand that I'm, I'm talking about the claims of inspiration itself. Before we go anywhere, we have to ask the question, does the Bible itself claim to be special? Because if it doesn't, then what are we even having a conversation about here, right? Is the Bible special? Does it claim to have its own sense of inspired authority? Now, that's different than asking the question of what are the evidences of inspiration. That's a subject for another time. A couple of Sundays from now, I'm going to talk about what are the evidences for inspiration. How do we know that it's inspired? We could talk about, for example, uh, the lady earlier said that there's medical evidence. Well, there is. It's, the Bible's not a medical book, but there's medical evidence you can look at. A real strong case is archaeological evidence. At the turn of the century in the 1900s, there were uh, liberal scholars all over in our universities that were saying, well, the Bible, the Bible is obviously not, not true. It's not written. It's been changed so many times because 
uh, look at this. We can't find this in antiquity. We can't see an example of this in archaeology. And then in the 1920s and the 1930s, there was an explosion in archaeology. There was an explosion in biblical archaeology. Guess what? They started with the turn of every spade and the, the turn of every shovel, more and more evidence that, guess what, purported that exactly the events of the Bible happened the way that they said that they did. So there's archaeological evidence. There's prophetic evidence. There's all kinds of evidence. That's not what we're talking about right now. What we're talking about right now is, does the Bible claim itself to be an inspired book? Because here's why I ask that question. If the Bible does not purport to be inspired, then you have nothing to worry about as far as asking this question for yourself, do you? What is the Bible? What is it? The Bible has to do with morality. So what? It's not an inspired book. It's suggestions 2,000 years ago. Or, or it says this about God. If, if the Bible doesn't claim inspiration, then it doesn't really matter, does it? We're arguing over beliefs. It doesn't really matter because it's not from God. It's just a historical document. But if the Bible itself claims to be special, if it claims to be authoritative, if it claims to be the very words that have come from our Creator, if that's what the book claims, well, then we have a dilemma that we need to wrestle with, do we not? Because I see a lot of Christians today who do not treat the Bible as if it is the Word of God. I see a lot of Christians who let the Bible collect dust on the shelves and treat it as though it is a book that has never made such a claim. So let's ask the question, what does the Bible have to say for itself? What is Revelation? Let's start here. Revelation, this is just a little simple definition that I put up here. I made it up on my own. But Revelation is where God is giving some information to man that there's no way he could have figured out on his own, right? So he's revealing something to man that is part of God's plan. Maybe it's something about God's creative process. It's something that's being revealed that he didn't have before that, that event happened. That's Revelation. Now, inspiration we'll talk about in just a moment, but I want you to take your Bibles, go to 2 Peter chapter 1 with me this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1. So when it comes to Revelation, we have passages like this. It says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Look at verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. I want you to take a step back. I want you to think about what the Scripture just told you. It says, all the prophecies of the Bible. Now, the Bible's got a lot of prophecy in it. I did an estimation one time. The Bible is two-thirds prophecy. If you just look at the prophecies about the first coming of Christ, there's at least 333 prophecies that point to the first coming of Christ. I don't even know how many point to the second coming, over 600. So what it tells you is, is, that, is that when it comes to prophecy, Peter says here that all those prophecies did not come about by somebody else's interpretation. 
So if you've got this picture in your mind that sometime, a long time ago, sitting in some dusty cave was this guy, and he says, you know what, I think I, I, think I just heard God speak. I'm going to write it down. And here's my opinion. Here's my thoughts on, on what God said. Peter's saying, look, do not think that that's how revelation came to us. Look at verse 21. He tells you exactly how it came to us. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. In other words, everything that you see in the Bible, I'm not saying this is true. Understand something really quick. Only thing that I'm doing this morning is asking the question, does the Bible claim to be inspired? Does that make sense? I'm not trying to prove it to you. I'm asking you, does it claim to be? So far, what is he saying? He's saying no prophecy had its origin in the human will. In other words, there's no part of this Bible where somebody said, you know what, I think I'm going to say this. It's not there, according to the Bible. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through human, though human, excuse me, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You've heard us talk about the Holy Spirit being the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to help, right? Like the picture is, you can imagine two people walking and somebody's walking along and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit kind of comes alongside and puts an arm around the person, right? That's the picture of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's add to that picture a little bit. When it says that that the Holy Spirit moved people to write the Bible, I want you to imagine that hand coming down and grabbing that person's hand and the Holy Spirit leading them over here. And then, and then leading them over here, and then leading them over here. That's the idea behind the picture. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were shown specific things by the Holy Spirit. They were given certain revelations by the Holy Spirit. So God specifically chose certain men. He gives them revelation, things that they could not have known before, and they in turn, without interpretation, write down those things in what we call the autograph. So what happened was the Holy Spirit moved upon certain men, gave them revelation, the thoughts that were in God's mind. He in turn, he in turn gave that th- th- those thoughts to them. And in obedience, they in turn write those things down and they eventually get passed down to us. That's, how, that's what we call the Bible. Let me give an example of this. What do I mean by revelation? I love the book of Ezekiel. If we had just done so many weeks on Daniel, I'd jump right in Ezekiel. But... It might wear you out after a while. Ezekiel's deep. But um, in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 1 and in chapter 10, Ezekiel has this amazing vision. Now, I have this picture up here. This is by an artist, and it's trying to capture some of the stuff that you see in Ezekiel 1 and 10. Honestly, I I was on Google uh, this week, and I was trying to find a good artist rendering. There is no real good artist rendering of Ezekiel 1 and chapter 10, okay? There's just not. But you have this vision there's fire and there's lightning. This entire scene is just incredible. He sees these four living creatures, these massive wheels in the middle of the wheels. It's covered somehow with eyes all around it. Don't ask me how to understand it. I don't know. But it's just this, excuse me, this incredible vision that Ezekiel's being shown. And I use this as an example of Revelation because think about this. Nobody could have come up with this. If you sat down one day and you said, you know what, I'm going to make up my own vision you could sit down in your study and you could take out a pen and paper and write some stuff down, but I guarantee you it would never reach that level because that's revelation. This is attributes and things about God that was revealed to man that otherwise he would have never been able to know had God not shown it to him 
first. So let's talk now specifically about inspiration. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is well-trodden text. I know that you've been here many, many times. We're going to go here one more time. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. The process of inspiration, I believe, is best summarized in these verses right here. Let's read them together. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the process of inspiration is that God is first and foremost himself, he is exerting supernatural influence over the writer. Do you see that? He's exerting supernatural influence over the writer so that what is written is exactly what God intended to write. Now I want to show you something up on the screen here. That initial part of the verse, all scripture is inspired of God or God breathed, it's pathographe theonustos. Okay? You can kind of see the middle word, graphe, graphe. We there's several English words we get from gra- graphe. What, what what graphic? You see the word graphic there, right? Graphic design, graphic. It means to write something out, okay? So that's the idea there. In the middle there, graphe, it's um, it's a word that occurs 50 times in the Greek New Testament. And here's the essential of what it means. That which is written down. But this particular word here means a specific type of writing down. It means the writing down of that which is holy. It's holy writ. It's holy writing, if you will. In other words, if you were living in the first century and you were jotting down something on a piece of paper, maybe you're writing down your to-do list or what you got to go buy at the grocery store or whatever, You wouldn't use graphe. That's not the word you would use, okay? This word is used for when you're writing down something that's deemed to be holy, when you're writing down the messages of the words of God, if you will. And then keep reading with me a little bit more. This next word, theonustos, theo, theos, God in Greek, right? This is a compound word. It's two words that are put together that, (coughs) excuse me, that form one word. What's the idea here? It means that, something is being breathed, right? If you're, if you're forming words, how do you form words, right? Just break down the process. You look down and you see the words and you go, you breathe in, right? And you see the words. So you start to form your mouth. You shape your muscles of your mouth in a certain way. You contort them in a certain way so that when you breathe back out with the sound that you make, you're going to form a syllable. You're going to form a word. And because of that, it's going to shape and take meaning, Right? That's what this word theonustos means. It means God's doing that. So when you think of the Bible, when you think of the words of the Bible, I want you to think of it as God breathing in and mouthing the words and speaking them out, writing them down into existence. And so when you put put all these ideas together, it means God himself is in the process of taking what's in his mind, in his thoughts, He's forming words. He's putting those into, into the minds of his servants and they are graphe, holy writing those things down for the sake of being kept for all generations. Does that make sense? That whole process we call inspiration because God is taking his revelation and through inspiration 
He is calling men to write these things down so that they might be given unto us. So before we get too far into this, because I knew that we weren't going to have time to get too deep into it this morning, but I wanted to make sure that we just defined our terms. I want to make sure I get this right here. Here we go. Holy writing, God breathed. Good. Okay. Revelation and inspiration. Um, So let me ask you a question. Based upon what you've seen in just these two verses, now next week we're going to talk about a few more. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. I just have a question. Does the Bible, at least here, claim to be inspired, yes or no? It does. Okay? And I'm not going to go back and, and make the claim because I know how people will say this. I've heard it so many times. Well, you know, Tim, you know, in that, in that passage that we just looked at, it says that all Scripture was God-breathed. You know that's talking about the Old Testament, right? Because, because you know, that's the only Bible that they had. So it's only talking about the Old Testament. Listen, I, I get the argument, okay? That was the only Bible in existence at the time of Paul. But we have the benefit of 2,000 years now looking back. We know that those New Testament writings were also God-breathed. And if you're a follower of Christ, I don't think anybody in this room has a problem with that. So yes, I understand what it means. But don't miss what it's saying. It's making the case that all Scripture, all of this right here, every bit of it, was breathed out by the mouth of God. So does the Bible claim to be inspired, yes or no? Well, then now we have a dilemma. Because now we have to decide if that's true. And if you believe with all of your heart that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, let me tell you something, it absolutely will bump up against your life and call you to make some changes. Now, if the Bible's not the word of God, then don't worry about it. No no change to make. But if that claim is true, and I believe it is, it will call you to change everything. Now, I want to say this before we close. I am not going to do this series without noting that there are significant issues that need to be addressed. Especially in the last, I'd say, 10 or so years, there have been, um, there have been some very serious charges that have been leveled against God's word. There are things that we do need to discuss, like translational differences. Why do some ancient manuscripts have this versus that? Can we trust those things? What about apparent contradictions in the Bible? Listen, I'm not blind. I know that there's a lot of talk out there about a lot of things. And I plan to address some of these as we go into the various aspects of this series. Um, But let me show you kind of a preview of what's coming up. We just talked about the biblical claims for inspiration, just getting our feet wet. Next week... We're going to talk about biblical claims for inspiration part two. Then we're going to look at the evidences for inspiration. How do you know that the Bible is the inspired word of God? Then we're going to talk about the canon of scripture. How many of you know that there are other books out there that are in other Bibles? How do you deal with that? In some Bibles, if you grew up Catholic, you have what's called the Apocrypha. Remember that? There's other books in the Bible. Why do they have other books in the Bible and we don't have those books? Are we missing out? Should we be reading those? We'll talk about that when we get to the canon of Scripture. Then we're going to talk about the transmission of the Bible text. This is the one where that guy was talking about how, yeah, I don't know if it's accurate or not. It's been changed over the years. Well, we're going to look at it. We're going to look at it. Did you know that there's documentary evidence 
showing us exactly what has happened to the Bible the last 2,000 years. This is not a mystery. We have actual forensic evidence that we can look at and see where were, where were mistakes made? Where was it done right? We'll talk about that when we get to the transmission of the Bible text. How did we get the English Bible? I have this question just about every two or three months. Hey, Tim, I'm getting a new Bible. Which translation should I get? Is one translation as good as the next translation? Oh, I've had that so many times. If I could have a frequently asked question section of Tim Brown's office, man, I'd put that up near the top. We're going to talk about that. Are all Bibles the same? How do you know a good one? How do you know a bad one? And then lastly, we're going to wrap up talking about the biblical covenants because it makes, it's important for you to know how to read the Bible that God has given you, and you need to think in terms of covenants. And then finally, the Bible in you, what does it mean to embrace a biblical worldview? So that's where we're going over the next two months. Are you excited about the journey? All four of you, good. I'm teasing you. Just a little humor there. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and stop here. This will be a great place to end. Um, let, me just, uh, let me just share this with you really quick. I don't want you to be uh, uninformed whatsoever about where your preacher stands on the Word of God. So let me tell you what I believe. Right at the very start, you will know my um, uh, biases right here, okay? I believe that what we have is a collection of 66 books that we call the Bible. It is written by more than 40 different authors. It has been written over a period of several thousand years. And when you read that book, it is as if you are reading one author. And that's because I believe that there ultimately is only one author. I believe in every word of the Bible is truth. I believe that every space that's in the Bible is there for a reason. And I believe it's written for our learning so that we might become the people that God has called us to be. But you can't be that person unless you have a foundation. So over the course of the next few weeks, let's be in our Bibles and let's learn about this strong foundation of faith that we've been given called the Word of God. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and go to our Father in prayer and we'll close. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the blessings that we've had today. Lord, we come to your Word as, as, as your Word tells us. It's, it's a lamp and a light to us. It's a lamp unto our feet. It teaches us right from wrong, Father. And, and, and just as the law brings us to the cross, we then go to the cross ourselves, Father, to receive your forgiveness and the ability to have eyes that see and, and ears that hear. Thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit that takes your word and writes your word into our hearts. And, Father, I know that for so many of us, we don't even have to ask the question of whether or not we believe these words are inspired, but we're living in a day and age where these questions are coming up more and more and more. And so, God, we just want to be clear about what we think on these things. Give us a strong foundation, Father, of your word, not just to know it, but to apply it through the living of the Holy Spirit. Help us to be obedient to it, to stand in front of the mirror of it and make the changes that we need to make. Help us to be a living example of a walking Bible every single day. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. If you need to respond to the invitation,